0: That's dot com to sign up for your trial today.
1: Welcome everyone to Long Ball Legacies. My name's Daniel Port. I'm your host today as always. Every single Friday here at noon Eastern Time, we are here to break down players from baseball's past, present, and maybe, I guess, the future. You never know. Things could get a little trippy here, but we are here to talk about the story of baseball and how we tell it through those who played it and those who had the greatest impact on the game, and I am excited for this week's episode because a lot of times we often take a player and try to look backwards into some comparisons for that player, whether we're talking about someone like Bryce Harper, and then we look at Bryce Harper compared to Mickey Mantle, and then compare him to Mike Trout, or do something along those lines. And this week, we're actually doing the opposite. We're taking a player from the past, namely Scott Rowland. And today we're going to talk about a player of today's game who, we, who I feel like is a a smart and accurate comparison for Scott Rowland. And we talked last week when we went over Scott Rowland that his inclusion into the Hall of Fame opened the door for a lot of other current third basemen to have a good shot at making the Hall of Fame. And as I started trying to think of who those players might be, I realized we'd covered a few of them already. We'd already talked about Jose Ramirez and Evan Longoria who I feel both are borderline cases potentially for the Hall of Fame, and Roland's election certainly improved their shot. But the one that really sat in my head, the one that really sprung straight into my mind, was Nolan Aranato. Like Roland, do yourself a favor. Go take a few minutes and go watch Nolan Aranato play defense. Go YouTube it or look for some highlights somewhere because it is really something to behold. Uh, There's the combination of power and quickness that he exhibits when making good plays at third base. It genuinely is something to behold. So go take a second, go do that, or put it on the background or something because I think it will really give you an idea of just how good at third base Nolan Arenado is. And really, as you watch that, if you last week went and watched Roland's highlights, you can see so many similarities between the two players and what they do best and how they succeed defensively at that position, which, as we mentioned, is a pretty hard position to play defensively. Definitely worth checking out. And really, if you're being honest, outside of maybe Adrian Beltre and, and Roland himself, there's an argument that before all is said and done, Arnato might end up being one of the best defensive third basemen of all time, let alone one of the best hitting third basemen of all time. We're really talking about an interesting player in terms of what he's already accomplished in his career, and... And also in looking at what we think he will accomplish over the rest of his career, because we're actually looking at a player today who's still in his prime, which is really fascinating to take a look at. And I have a feeling that by the time we're all done with this here, that you will agree with me that thanks to Roland's recognition, Arno's Hall of Fame chances have gone from a maybe to an absolute lock. And I think A lot of times you hear people say, the only real player playing today that we think has a Hall of Fame chance is Trout. And I think that looking at Roland getting in and hopefully what I'm about to lay out as we go through Nolan Arenado's career, you'll agree that I think, honestly, of all the players playing today, Nolan Arenado has a really good shot of making the Hall of Fame here. As I've said, I think Arnott is perhaps the best modern comparison to Scott Rowland. And some may even argue that he's basically Rowland 2.0 in a lot of ways. And some of that depends on how you feel about Coors Field. And don't worry, we'll get into Coors Field later. I have thoughts and opinions on Coors Field that tend to run contrary to the way most people deal with it. So we'll definitely get into that and talk about that in a little bit. But to take a look at his career from a sort of overview standpoint, The 31-year-old has played 10 seasons in the majors and has amassed seven all-star appearances with 10 gold gloves, six platinum gloves, which is a newer award given out for the best defender at all the positions, let alone at their specific position. He has five Silver Slugger awards and has finished in the top 10 in MVP voting in six of his 10 seasons so far in his career. He's amassed 52.2 war and has a career two ninety-three average with a three fifty eight OBP and eight ninety one OPS, which is good for a career one twenty four OPS plus. Now this sounds familiar out the bat, right? Those are almost like a carbon copy. Of Roland's numbers. If you remember from last week, Roland was a career 281 hitter with a 364 OBP and an 855 OPS, which is good for a 122 OPS plus. It almost, you know, again, that Spider Man meme of the two Spider Mans pointing at each other. This feels right in line there. Now, so far, Arnato has hit 299 home runs, which is already 19th amongst third basemen all the time, with 338 doubles, which is 39th amongst those who have played the hot corner with 968 RBIs and 803 runs, which is 49th and 71st all-time, respectively, amongst third basemen. He's already 23rd all-time in Fangraph's defensive statistic with 111.9, and could leap up into the top 20 this year or next year already. It's worth keeping in mind as we go through this that he's still in the peak of his career. I know oftentimes in this podcast we're talking about guys who have, who are either at the end of their career or have completed their career. But here, we're smack dab in the middle of his career here. And when you consider that he's only 10 years into his career here and is already starting to rank that highly amongst third basemen, when he decides to call it a career, it's already likely that he will rank so much higher on those lists, in those statistics, than he does right now. We'll dive into kind of where he sits amongst his generation at the end Year. But for now, let's start at the beginning of Arnato's career. So, Arnato was born in 1991. Oh, God, I'm old in 1991. In Newport Beach, California, he excelled at baseball in high school for El Toro High, playing as a shortstop of all things. And interestingly enough, one of the reasons he played shortstop was because on that team as well was a fellow defensive wizard at third base, Matt Chapman. He was a high school all-star as a junior and senior and was signed to play baseball for Arizona State University. He would not see the field for ASU, though, as the Colorado Rockies ended up drafting him in the second round that year, and Arenado chose to head for the majors instead. Now, coming into his first year of pro ball, the Rockies moved him from shortstop, which at the time was blocked you know, at the big league level for the foreseeable future by Troy Tulowitzki. He started in the Pioneer League that year as an 18-year-old, as one of the youngest players in the league at that level, and he excelled hitting 300 across 54 games. And at the end of the year, Baseball America ranked Arenado as the number 10 prospect in the Rockies organization and raved about his hitting ability, citing his balanced approach, his advanced plate discipline, and excellent hand-eye coordination, bat speed, and strength. They also praised his defense, citing his good reactions and first-step quickness soft hands, and strong arm, although there were concerns at this point about his range there at third. In 2010, though, at A-ball, Arnauto continued to break, hitting 308 with 12 home runs and 41 doubles in 92 games. And by the end of the year, Baseball America had him as the Rockies' number three prospect to go along with breaking into the top 100 at number 80. In 2011, he continued to demolish baseballs at high A-ball, hitting two hundred ninety-eight with 20 home runs and 32 doubles to go with 122 RBIs and 82 runs scored in 134 games. This carried over that year into the Arizona Fall League, where he hit three eighty-eight with 6 home runs and 12 doubles in just 29 games, driving in 33 runs and scoring 22 runs. So at this point, he was driving in over a run a game there in the Arizona Fall League and nearly drove in, frankly, a run per game at the high A level too. Quickly, he starts rising up prospects list. Baseball America bumped him up into the top 50 prospects at number 42. And excitement really starts to gather around Arenado's prospects in the majors that we were going to see the next great Rockies hitter coming up through the minors as we speak. And the interesting thing about this at the time, because... His defense fluctuated throughout the, the minors. And so he was known as a defensive wizard, but then some people questioned it. But also he was hitting for some power, but not a ton of power. And I remember hearing about Arnado coming up and people were wondering if the power would show up, where, where kind of it was, or if he was going to be more of a, it's between 280 and 300 sort of Freddie Freeman type hitter with like 20 home runs or so and a lot of doubles, which is an excellent hitter. Obviously, we have Freddie Freeman on my list, ranked pretty highly here, but you just wonder at some point, that's a very different hitter than what we end up getting out of Nolan Arenado. So, I get where people are concerned at the time, but this is where those rumblings started to come out. I remember hearing them a lot around then. Now, 2013 would be the year of destiny for Nolan Arenado. He spends just 18 games at AAA. Coming this season, there had been folks at Baseball America, as I mentioned, were voicing some concerns about his defense. They were wondering if Arnada would need to move to first base because of some questions about his defense, especially his range and mobility, and had questions about his maturity and ability to deal with failure. But he apparently took the offseason and completely retooled his body and fitness level. He had turned himself into a good fielding third baseman, and Baseball America turned around. They came and started praising his field for the game and his work ethic and his dedication to that part of his game and turning it around and that reputation would follow him throughout his career oftentimes people describe Arenado as being obsessive uh, about practicing his defense and working on his defensive game throughout his entire career oftentimes talking about how the season would end and by January he was already fielding grounders rumors had started to show up that Arenado would get called up And frankly, Arnaud didn't really give them much of a choice as he comes in the AAA and hits 364 with three home runs and 11 doubles in 18 games. And the Rockies immediately call Arnaud up to the majors, feeling that he was ready for the show. Now, before we dive into how Arnaud does once he reaches the majors, let's actually take our first break here real quick. And we'll be right back after we pay some bills. And then we'll dive into what Nolan Aron did once he got to the majors.
0: Fads come and go and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. So, stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Eating is an emotional experience, which is why managing your weight needs to be a psychological one. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors, that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today.
1: Welcome back. Thanks so much. So I remember when this happened because Arnold gets called up and this was actually one of the first years I started getting back into fantasy baseball. And started really reading about it. I was playing with a bunch of my friends. And I remember reports on Arenado coming up. And that he was a good hitter. It wasn't some power. But mostly was defense first at that point. Again, a lot of the comparisons that I heard was. What if Freddie Freeman played third base? And that meant you would get some average. You would get some home runs. But it wasn't going to be really what we know Arenado becomes. This perennial 30 home run power hitter. Who just destroys baseballs for a living. And... He had a solid season that year. He was 22 years old. He played 133 games. He had a 267 average with 10 home runs, 29 doubles, and a 706 OPS, which was good for just a 81 OPS plus. He was worth 2.5 war that season, mostly because he was second in the league in Fangraph's defense amongst third basemen. And so playing only 133 games. And he led the NL in that status, winning his first gold glove as a rookie, which is incredibly impressive. That hasn't happened in the National League ever and was the first time it happened in either league since 1957. That's how impressive he was defensively as a rookie. He finished 7th in the league in Rookie of the Year voting that year, which was based on war. And it was probably pretty accurate. Jose Fernandez, uh, rest in peace, the late Jose Fernandez led All rookies that year was 6.6 war, which is an incredible rookie season. And Arnado, like I said, he was great defensively. The bat hadn't come around yet. So this was probably the right place for him to finish there in the rookie of the year voting. Now, there was still some whispering, as I mentioned, of where was his power? Every scouting report talked about how he was built. ...for power. He, his swing was perfect for it. He was big. He had the muscle for it and the power in his body, and his body type. And a lot of people are wondering, where was this power? My suspicion is that a lot of these home runs were hidden in the 29 doubles he hit that year. You can't see it, because obviously this is not a visual medium. You're listening to me talk. But if you were to pull up a spray chart of his doubles that year, almost half of them were at the wall... If you get a chance, take a look at a map or an outline of Coors Field and the distances from home plate to the walls. Coors Field is huge. It is a very large park. Uh, it's 415 to dead center. It's 390 in left center. It is just a huge park with very tall walls and a lot of make up for the altitude and humidity. But the problem was that this probably suppressed some of Arenado's early home run balls and turned them into doubles because it was such a huge field and because the walls were so tall. Arenado follows up his solid rookie season with another solid if unspectacular season that hinted at the future, but certainly didn't promise it yet. He hits 287 in 2014 with 18 home runs and 34 doubles across 111 games. He misses 51 games that year thanks to a fractured middle finger he suffered when sliding into second base, and he actually missed a few games towards the end of the season with due to a bout with a chest contusion that ended up leading to early-onset pneumonia, but Overall, still a really solid season. There's a couple real highlights during the season. He set a Rockies record with a 28-game hitting streak. He chipped in 61 RBIs and 58 runs scored as well. He was worth 3.6 war and finished in the top 10 amongst third basemen in Fangraph's defensive metric, despite missing that many games. And he won his second consecutive gold glove. The Rockies won just 69 games that year, missing the playoffs, as they often would, frankly, early on in Arenado's career And actually, really, for most of the time he spent in a Rockies uniform. Heading into 2015, everyone was still wondering where Arenado's power was. Like, when was it going to show up? And again, he had all the skills. It all was there. And it looked like he was doing the right things when the bat was in his hands. It just wasn't quite happening yet. And that changes here, to say the least. In 2015... Arnaldo comes alive, hitting a league-leading 42 home runs and 43 doubles to go along with a 287 average and an 898 OPS, which is good for a 124 OPS plus. He also drove in 130 RPIs, which also led both leagues, and he scored 97 runs while also leading the league in total bases as well. He's named to his first All-Star game, wins his first Silver Slugger Award, and his third consecutive gold glove. He was worth 6.3 war that season, finishing 7th in the majors in Fangraph's defense, and finished 8th in MVP voting. He did finish 8th in the NL in war that year, so it's not like he was robbed or anything, but as far as breakout seasons go, it was a doozy of a breakout season, and it was very fun to watch. Somehow, though, despite Arenado's efforts, the Rockies actually lose more games that year than they did in 2014. To give you an idea of how barefit of talent the Rockies were at that point, the next highest player in war that played for the Rockies that season was Carlos Gonzalez at 2.6 war. That is not encouraging. Things certainly did not look all that bright for the team, even if they did for Arnauto and Arnado's future. It, this actually sounds, again, eerily familiar to what Roland went through in Philadelphia. Now, it's not uncommon for players to regress after such a huge breakout season, but that did not happen here for Arnauto. That was not the case. In 2016, he led the league in games played with 160. He led them with home runs with 41 and total bases with 352. In addition, he led both leagues in RBI with 133 to go along with a 294 average and a 932 OPS, which is good for a 129 OPS+. Plus. He's elected to the All-Star Game for the second season in a row with his second consecutive Silver Slugger to go along with his fourth consecutive Gold Glove. He led all third basemen in Fangraph's defense and was worth 5.9 war while finishing fifth in MVP voting. Chris Bryant led the league with 7.3 war with nearly identical numbers to It's It is hard to argue with the war numbers oftentimes you'll hear me make arguments that this guy should have gotten the mvp instead of this one or things like that but this does seem correct that they made the right call there in the voting the cubs were a huge story that year as they had surged into the playoffs and ended up eventually breaking the curse of the goat the billy goat and It's hard sometimes to beat that narrative as well. It feels like that was a deserving uh, winner, even though I would love to have seen at least one MVP go to Arenado. And this will be a trend throughout his career where he puts up MVP caliber seasons and just somebody has their career year that ends up pushing him out of the MVP race. Now, this time things are, are a little better for the Rockies, at least some signs of hope as he was not the only player with a, a big season, the Rockies enjoyed breakout seasons from DJ LeMayhew and Charlie Blackman and Trevor Story, all of whom were worth at least 4.3 WAR that season. So you start to see at least something building for the future for the Rockies, even if it didn't quite happen here in 2016. We will see this all start to come to a head here, heading into 2017 as the Rockies make the playoffs for the first time in Arenado's career. And Arenado, for his part, had a fantastic season. He hits 309 with a 373 OBP and a 959 OPS, which is good for a 130 OPS plus. He hits 37 doubles, seven triples, which is surprising for a man who is not fleet of foot, and led the NL in doubles with 43 while chipping in 130 RBIs with 100 runs scored. He had many wild accomplishments this year, including he hit for a cycle. He played in a game where he reached 14 total bases in the game, which tied a franchise record. And finally, he even had a game where he hit three home runs and had five total hits in one game. It's worth noting at this point, over the last three seasons, Arnato had knocked in 393 RBIs, which is just nuts. That's 50 more RBIs than the next closest player Edwin Encarnacion had at 345. The next closest third baseman was Josh Donaldson with 300, which is 93 RBI short of what Arenado put up. That's how good he was. That's just crazy. Oh, and by the way, he led all third basemen in home runs, doubles, hits, and fangraphs defense over that time period while finishing second in runs and third in average amongst third basemen over that time period. That's one heck of a three-year run. I, Mind-boggling. He's an all-star again this year as well. Once again, winning another gold glove and a silver slugger award as well. He was worth 6.7 war that year and was fourth amongst all third basemen in Fangraph's defense. He finished fourth in MVP voting. And once again, this was probably pretty accurate as he finishes fourth in war in the National League that year. And Joey Votto won the award that year with a 1.032 OPS and 8.1 war. So the right man, again, got the award that year, even if... Arnauto put up an MVP caliber season there. Now, as I mentioned, though, this was a big year for Nolan as the Rockies would make the playoffs this year. They finally won 87 games and made the one-game wildcard playoff against Arizona. Now, they do lose the game, but it felt like they were making a breakthrough. Like, they were on the cusp of starting to become a contending team here. Arenado would homer in the game, and while obviously, again, that wasn't the long playoff success that they wanted it felt like it was a good start and that there was some promise for the future. Now, 2018 would show Arenado churning out another 35-plus home run, 100-RBI season, you or me breathe, hitting an NL-leading 38 home runs with 110 RBIs along with 38 doubles and 104 runs scored. He hit 297 with a 935 OPS, which is good for a 133 OPS+. plus. He's an all-star yet again while winning his sixth Gold Glove, along with his fourth Silver Slugger, and finishes third in MVP voting. His 6.4 WAR was tied for third amongst position players in the National League, and once again his season was certainly MVP worthy. But once again, he is outdone by a player having a career year. Is this time by Christian Yelich, who basically had the same season as Arenado, but hit 326. And also stole 22 bases. So, again, rightfully does beat out Arenado there for the MVP award. The Rockies have what's probably the best season they've had since Arenado joined the team. And probably the best since going to the World Series back in 2007. They win 91 games, including uh, a wild end of the year sequence where... The Rockies ended the year tied with the Dodgers for the NL West, which forced a game 163, so to say, where the two teams would come and play each other to see who wins the division. And the winner would obviously go on and win the division. The loser would go face the Cubs in the card round that year. The Rocks lose that game, unfortunately, but... They do end up prevailing over the Cubs in the wild card round. Now I live in Denver, uh, and I have for well, ten years now. So I was in Denver when this happened, and the hype around this game was huge. Every bar was packed that night. Every TV seemed to have the game on. It just felt like it really was all over Denver, and that it's a pretty passionate fan base. They love the Rockies, and so it wasn't necessarily shocking to see that, but it was really fun to be a part of. To say this, I lived in a, an apartment complex at the time, right across the street, basically from Coors Field. If you went out to, I was on the third floor, me and my girlfriend were, and if you looked out my balcony, you could see Coors Field like a block or two away. So I lived right in that area, and it was crazy. You could hear cheering throughout the whole building you could hear cheering throughout all the different neighborhoods and, and even from the ballpark and stuff like that so it was really cool it felt like a cinderella type win where this team was overcoming insurmountable odds and you could genuinely feel the excitement in the town after so many years of losing so that was a really cool thing to be a part of and Arnato ends up having a hit and an rbi in that game which helps cement him in some of the Rockies lore in the area. And the Rockies going to face the Brewers in the NLDS and unfortunately they're eliminated in three games. Arnato struggles in the series as well, hitting 182 while managing just two hits and an RBI in the series. This would be the last time he sees the playoffs in the Rockies purple and black, which is a true travesty. Now, riding the excitement wave brought on by the previous season's success, the Rockies signed Arenado to an eight-year, $260 million extension. Now, that sounds like a long-term contract, but it was an odd contract. There was built in, I believe after two years, several opt-outs where he could basically opt out every single year after that two-year period. And... Really, a lot of the theory at the time was that this was built in to the contract because Arno felt like the team hadn't always fully invested in being a competitive team, that they hadn't really put the money back into the team to try and really make a push. And now that they had some success, he didn't want them resting on their laurels. He wanted them to keep trying to push to be a competitive team. Arenado, as I mentioned before, had a reputation as an obsessively competitive leader who really wanted to win, and this felt like a way for him to have some sort of control over that. Now, 2019 comes in, and this was just another year of ho-hum, 35 home runs, 100 RBIs, he has 315 With 962 OPS, which was good for a 131 OPS plus to go along with 41 home runs, 31 doubles, 118 RBIs, and 102 runs scored. He goes to yet another all star game along with another gold glove. He finishes sixth in the MVP voting despite having the second highest war total in the National League at 7.3. Once again, he falls short behind a once-in-a-lifetime season from Cody Bellinger, who hits 47 home runs with 121 runs scored and 115 RBIs. Just bad luck and bad timing here, once again, from Nolan Arenado. And and mind you, some of that may have been because the Rockies failed to follow up on their storybook 2018 season, winning just 71 games. And while none of that, as you can see from the numbers, was Arenado's fault, We get how that ends up painting some of the discussion around these awards. It's clearly a disappointing season from the Rockies. And you either get the impression that the Rockies fell short of expectations or had played way over the head the year before. And neither of those really end up helping Arenado's case, even though none of that really had anything to do with Arenado or how well he played. And you can just imagine Arenado's frustration at putting up a career year at the plate at that point while leading all third basemen in Fangraph's defense by a country mile and seeing the team lose 90-plus games had to be infuriating for a guy as competitive as Arenado. In the offseason, rumors begin to swirl that there was tension between Arenado and the Rockies' front office. Apparently, after the season, Arenado went to GM Jeff Breedich and argued that the Rockies needed to make big, aggressive moves in the offseason, which he was probably right, but Breedich said they were going to stand Pat instead and apparently the discussion got a bit ugly and damaged the relationship between the two of them. Then rumors started circulating that Breedrich had discussed trades with several teams, which Breedrich later inadvertently confirmed when he announced that he wasn't considering trading Arenado anymore, and most of the world looked around being like, wait, they were considering trading Arenado? It came really out of left field, it was very jarring for fans here in Colorado, it was very confusing, (laughs) I will admit. As we didn't know the first part where that they weren't getting along. And so suddenly it just seemed like it came out of nowhere. So up confirming essentially these rumors. And this really ticks off aronato aronato felt disrespected and said so publicly to quote, I really don't care what's being said. I just know I feel disrespected out there. He said, adding, I'm not upset at the trade rumors. There's more to this than that. Which both, okay, Nolan, I don't believe you. But also, it's clear that... Aranato felt disrespected by the front office. You have to wonder what was actually said in some of those discussions, but something made Aranato feel like he wasn't welcome there anymore, which, again, sounds a little familiar if you remember uh, last week's Scott Rowland discussion where he often felt disrespected by his team not trying to compete, but also some of the things that they said. If you remember, they publicly bashed Scott Rowland pretty heavily, unfairly, frankly. And you have to wonder if Arnato was feeling much of the same feelings, even if it wasn't quite as public. Now, Arnato would play the COVID warped season of 2020 in a Rockies uniform, but really at this point, even for those of us here who weren't like in the know, but were here in Denver, the writing was on the wall. It really was. We knew he was gone. He largely struggles hitting 253 with just eight home runs in 48 games in the shortened 60 game season, winning a gold glove, and that's it. In the offseason, he requests a trade, and the Rockies oblige him, trading him to the Cardinals for an extremely underwhelming package. In fact, they end up paying most of his contract after trading him, which I've never seen happen before. It's just wild. That's how much they were willing to just move him. Now, I remember when this trade happened. There were a lot of folks who were convinced that this spelled doom for Arnato as an elite hitter, that Coors was the only reason he was elite and once he left, it was all going to fall apart. There was all this big house of cards and a facade that we were going to see right through the moment he left Coors. Now, this is where we're going to have our Coors discussion because this thinking shows a bit of a flaw in how we see Coors Field. And perhaps this is the best time to have the the altitude conversation, so to say. This is when father sits down his child and decides to have the talk with him. And this is the talk that's about Altitude and Coors Field. There are a few things you need to know about Coors Field. Yes, the altitude and lack of humidity does tend to let fly balls travel further and therefore aid in the hitting of home runs, but it's not as much as you think it is. According to the Physics of Baseball, this is a book written by Yale Professor Professor Emeritus Robert K. Adair, uh, PhD, high altitude and low humidity likely only adds less than 10 feet to the average fly ball, which... Actually, when combined with the big, huge confines of Coors Field, it actually boasts one of the largest outfields in all of baseball, it ends up having a much higher effect on things like batting average, doubles, and triples than it does uh, home runs on average. The real Coors effect is about the effect the elevation and dryness have on the pitches being thrown. Pitches thrown in Coors break radically different than if they were thrown in the exact same way somewhere else at normal elevation and normal humidity levels. Breaking balls break less, fastballs are straighter, they have less rise, all sorts of things. Basically, making them, yes, more hittable. But the the trick is, this sounds like an advantage. And it, it is. Right up until the Rockies have to go on the road, where they basically have to relearn how pitches are going to behave on the fly every single time they play outside of Colorado. Scouting can oftentimes be erratic because they have to... Look at it from different perspectives of they can't use home footage if they're going to go on the road. They can't use road footage if they're going to play at home. It really is a trickier situation than simply if you get to hit in Coors, everything is great. And if you want to see how they're going to hit outside of Coors, take their road splits. That's what they're going to be. You just can't do that in Coors. So when many folks wanted to take his career road splits at the time where he had just 263, with 99 home runs in 537 games with a 108 WRC plus and a 793 OPS. I wanted to say this is the end for Nolan Arenado. as an elite player. And with former Coors players, you just can't do that. You have to factor in that huge change they face when they go on the road and understand their road numbers won't be an exact representation of how they will hit in their new home. You have to look at the skill set, which we know Nolan Arenado had in droves. At first though, as he's making that adjustment, because it's worth noting that making that adjustment probably carried over to at least a good portion of his first year in St. Louis. At first, during that first year in St. Louis in 2021, it seemed like the clear the critics would be at least somewhat correct. He hits 255 with 34 home runs, 34 doubles with 105 RBIs and 82 runs scored. His eight oh seven OPS was good for a 119 OPS plus. He was worth just 4.1 more despite finishing 4th in Fangraph's defense that year. He is an all-star that year for St. Louis and he wins his ninth gold glove. St. Louis makes the playoffs that year after winning 90 games but lose to the Dodgers in the NL wildcard game where Arenado goes 0 for 4. Now, if Arenado's first year at his new home went as as his detractors expected, then 2022 blew them out of the water. At 31 years old, Arnado go on to have a career year hitting 293 with an 891 OPS, which in the currently depressed offensive hitting environment was good for a 154 OPS plus, which was the highest of his career. He hit 30 home runs of 42 doubles, 103 RBIs, and 73 runs scored. He was second in Fangraph's defense amongst third basemen and was worth 7.3 war while getting named to his seventh All-Star game as well as winning his 10th consecutive gold glove. For the record, just take a second and pause there. He won 10 gold gloves in a row. That's crazy. 16 gold gloves in the record and 10 tied him for the second most gold gloves by a third baseman ever. But he won them consecutively, which is just remarkable. He also wins his fifth Silver Slugger award and he finished third in MVP voting despite finishing with the highest war in the National League. But not by a lot. I'm picking nits here. He finished just 0.1 over Paul Goldschmidt, who won the MVP award that year as teammate. Obviously, he did finish with the highest war, but not by much. I understand why it went down the way it did, given Goldie's superior offensive numbers that year, and the fact that we haven't fully reliably quantified defense as well as we would like to, so I know a lot of people in the voting... Don't take that into consideration as much, but I do feel like it could have gone to Arenado just as easily. Even if Goldie was a truly deserving winner, I, I do think we could count this sort of anecdotally as an MVP season for Nolan Arenado. It's, I guess, the story of Arenado's career. So that's Arenado's career so far, and as 10-year careers go, it's pretty darn impressive. Over that 10-year stretch has played so far, no third baseman has hit more than his 299 home runs, with a close-sitting 23 fewer home runs, while also leading all third basemen in doubles with 338, which is 33 more than the next highest total there as well. His 968 RBIs beats out Manny Machado for first by 141 RBI. His 803 runs scored is second over that time period. His 289 average is third over that time period, and his 881 OPS is first. He's also first in war over that time period. Perhaps more importantly, his 111.9 fangriffs defense total is nearly double the second highest total. That's how good of a defender he was. He still is, frankly. It's almost impossible to make an argument for any other third baseman as the greatest third baseman of his generation so far. And at 31, coming off his best year by war of his career, there's an argument that he still has a few more years of his prime to come which could radically change where he ends up in the great scheme of things. Now, let's say we grant a few premises. Premise I, premises, Premises? Whatever. If, if we ignore the weirdness of 2020, Arnauto had only one season with fewer than 5.9 war since 2016. So let's say he has three more seasons of at least six war, and given his defensive prowess, maybe three more seasons of at least three war? That would add 27 war to his current total, bringing it to 79.2 war. That right there is Hall of Fame worthy, uh, thanks to Rolla and Santos Hall Inclusions, who both sent right around 70 war. That right there alone makes Arenado a shoo-in for the Hall of Fame. Now, he hasn't had a season with fewer than 100 RBIs since 2014. So it's safe to say we can probably pencil him in for 500 RBIs over those six seasons, given some regression, but uh, would bring his total for his career to 1,468. RBIs, which would be fifth all time amongst third basemen. Let's say he has another 150 home runs as well. That would make his total 449, which would be fifth all time as well. Another 150 doubles would get him to 488, which would be ninth all time. And I don't think I'm being unreasonable with these assumptions because uh, obviously, of course, barring injury, I think these are all well within Arenado's ability. If anything, I might be shortchanging him saying that he only has really six years left in his career here. It really makes you think, too, about what COVID costs these players with the reduced season. And obviously, that, of course, pales in comparison to all those who lost their lives or have had their lives irrevocably changed by the devastation that COVID brought to to the world, really. But you do have to think about the what if as a baseball fan of what COVID changed. And obviously, they're not blameless. Even Arnato was famously unvaccinated. He couldn't go play in Toronto during that season. It's not to say that they are blameless in this situation, but you do have to wonder what, with the reduced season, this costs those players. And it creates a sort of fascinating what if. Are you talking it cost Arnato like 20, 20 home runs, probably 40 or 50 RBIs? Who knows? But those, look at those career numbers and where he could end up. And you ask yourself, that's a healthy season in his prime that cost him. And I hope that when we go back to look at his legacy and his numbers at the end of his career, and when we go to talk about him in the hall or things like that, that's something we keep in consideration when we look at his career totals. Now, oh, by the way, before we move on, I just want to mention Arnado is currently tied with Mike Schmidt for the second most gold gloves for a third baseman. And while catching Brooks Robinson at 16 total gold gloves is probably out of reach at this point, I mean, it isn't out of a question. Again, if I grant the premise that he plays at least six more years, and we seem to be giving him gold gloves almost every year he's played. In fact, no, I'm sorry. We've given him a gold glove every single year of his career that he's played. I think it's certainly doable. Could he get to 216? Maybe. And if so, obviously, then we're, we're starting to talk greatest third baseman of all time levels, but... Either way, it is a remarkable career that seems like he's on a Hall of Fame trajectory and maybe even a trajectory for being in the argument for top five or so third baseman of all time. It would be fun to tell future generations about this player and hopefully it will all just unfold correctly and we get to see that come to fruition. With Arnato's career story so far told and put in perspective, where do we think he ends up on our list? Where do we rank Nolan Arnato? I'll tell you what. Let's take our last break here, and then we'll come back and we'll figure it out.
0: When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. And that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Welcome back. Great.
1: So first, let's give an overview of the list as it stands. First, to read off the top 20 here, we've got Satchel Page at number one, Josh Gibson at number two, Mickey Mansell at number three, Greg Maddox at number four, Mike Trott at number five, Ichiro Suzuki at number 6. George Brett at number 7. Adrian Beltre at number 8. Clayton Kershaw at number 9. Edgar Martinez at number 10. Sandy Koufax at number 11. Tony Gwynn at number 12. Hank Greenberg at number 13. Joey Votto at number 14. Scott Rowland at number 15. Ron Santo at number 16. Kenny Lofton at number 17. Adik Josh at number 18. Johan Santana at 19 and Willie Stargell at number 20. Jumping down to number 25, we have Ryan Sandberg. Jumping down to number 30, we have Homerun Baker. At number 35, we have Dizzy Dean. At number 40, we have Sean Green. At number 45, we have Prince Fielder. At number 50, we have Kenny Rogers. At number 55, we have Jim Abbott. And at number 59, we have James Paxton. That's the list as it stands. It will be posted in the notes for the show. So if you want to see the full list and see everybody we've talked about, Definitely go check that out. We're 59 players deep now. Uh, in fact, by the end of today, we'll be at 60. Feels like a nice little milestone there. Definitely check out that list. The question, of course, is where does Arnato fit on this list here? I think looking at other uh, third baseman on the list as a starting point, I think Arnato safely gets ahead of Evan Longori at 39 and Homer Baker at 30. He's got nearly 12 war on Jose Ramirez over the same career time frame. He also came up in 2013 with nearly 100 more home runs than uh, Ramirez and 300 more RBIs. So I think he ends up ahead of him pretty easily for now at 26. David Ortiz is in the same area in terms of war at 55.3 and has 541 home runs. Arnada will certainly surpass Ortiz in terms of war. He played in the field at a much harder position while winning 10 gold gloves. Uh, Ortiz was just a DH over his career. So he definitely goes higher than Ortiz as well. That's at 21. So now I suppose we end up where we should have expected, which is looking at Ron Santo and Scott Rowland and wondering if we should surpass them. Santo had 342 home runs across 14 seasons compared to Arenado's 299 in 10 seasons. So, Arenado should easily surpass Santo there. He's less than 400 RBIs behind Santo as well, and so it seems likely Nolan catches him there as well. He's already doubled Santo in gold gloves, and we'll probably add more. Arnato has nearly double Santo's fan defense total. I think it's pretty clear Arenado jumps over Santo here as well. So, now the real question is, does he move past Roland? This is a question of how heavily do you weigh what we think Arnauto is going to do over the rest of his career versus what he has done so far. And from episodes past, when we talked about someone like Jose Ramirez or Freddie Freeman or uh, Jose Altuve. I don't mind projecting a little bit. I've tried to keep it reasonable because there's injuries, there's aging, there's all those things that can factor in that we can't really fully predict. But I don't mind saying, I think this guy's going to get to here and then making the ranking based on that. Otherwise, it's hard to fairly rank current players. But looking at this, Roland has even fewer home runs than Santo. He only hit 316 over his career, so Arenado has a shot to end up with close to 100 home runs more than Roland by the time all is sent on, if not more. He's only 300 RBIs behind Roland and 500 hits behind Roland as well. Now, you have to imagine those are all marks Arenado surpasses. Doing so, he also maintains... A similar batting average to Roland and similar OPS numbers to Roland. It seems likely Arenado surpasses Roland in war, especially since fingers crossed he has avoided Roland's injury struggles so far in his career. Roland is at about is about 68.4 fangrafts defense above Arenado. But when you think about it, Arnato currently averages about eleven points of that defensive metric a year. So he's a pretty good shot of closing that gap, at least to a place where I think then his offensive ability puts him over the edge. Really when I really want to think about it in that perspective. And again, we can revisit if we start seeing some injuries from from Arnauto. This list is meant to be fluid, right? We can change things, or move things based on the information we get coming in. I, I think my gut says to put Arnauto ahead of Roland. I think when all is said and done, as of right now with the information we have, Arnato ends up a better baseball player for his career than Roland did. So if we go ahead and roll, and now the question is, what about Joey Votto at 14? Votto has about 10 war on Arnato right now, and about 50 home runs, 200 RBIs, and 40 points in OPS over Arnato But that is over five more seasons. The question is, can Arnold get to those numbers in five seasons? Yeah, I, we just said so. I think I do think so. And there's a reasonable argument that Arnauto will surpass Votto over those five years at a more difficult defensive position and surpass him in war, even if by all measures Votto is a much better hitter. He is a nearly 21-point advantage over Arnauto in OPS+. He's largely considered one of the greatest hitters of his generation. But again, he played it at first base, not third base, and was not a 10-time goal-glover. At that position, Votto's got the MVPs. But we've made the argument that there's the consistency from Arenado that he has an argument for an MVP award in basically almost every season of his career. It's really remarkable. Um, so while he doesn't have the MVP award, I I don't know. I mean, I really I might, I might be taking crazy pills. I don't know, but I think I'm putting Arenado ahead of Votto, and that in spite of what Votto also means to Reds fans. I don't feel like necessarily secure in it, but just thinking about it from that place of being like while Votto is probably the best or has an argument for being the best first baseman of his generation, and probably has an argument for being the best, like, technical hitter of his generation Arnado is the runaway candidate for the best third baseman of his generation It's the, the, not even close, no one else is close, and I think that counts for something like I've said before that I think, if you take something and go, this player was blank best of his generation or whatever that counts for extra and to say Nolan Arnato is the best third baseman of his generation means a lot for me so I think he goes ahead of Votto and I, that breaks my heart Joey Votto is one of my favorite players of all time and so is Nolan Arnato but I love Joey Votto and I think he means a lot to Reds fans but I, I think Arnato goes ahead of him here especially if that's the criteria we're using and speaking of criteria now we're looking right ahead of him I think if that's the criteria we're using, then based solely on what goes on in the field, you can make the same argument that he goes ahead of Hank Greenberg there at number 13 as well. He's already matched Greenberg in a war, but Greenberg was a vastly superior hitter. He had a career 1.017 OPS. He 145 OPS plus, which is much higher than Arenado's had for his career. And I think the other hard part is you can't negate what Greenberg means as a Jewish player in the 1930s in America and what he had to overcome to play in the majors and win two MVPs. This is, you know, more subjective, but I think in this case, if the goal of the list is to ask, who tells the story of baseball the most? I think Hank Greenberg probably wins out here. Uh, Again, given what he means to Jewish Americans and Jewish American baseball players and what he overcame and what he means really as a cultural touchstone for that time period and the way that we treated Jewish Americans and Jewish immigrants coming into the country in that time period. I, I think, I think Greenberg still ends up being more important in the story of baseball. When I, I don't know if that's a bias towards older players, we get so many more myths and legends and stories about the older players than we do. The current players and the reporting is so different. builds them up differently and all these things. So that might be some bias playing in there. But I think, I think for me, that really matters, the cultural aspect of it. So I think I'm going to put Arnato behind Greenberg in this situation, which makes Nolan Arnato the new number 14 on this list, which I knew he'd end up ranked highly, but even I'm pretty shocked he ended up that high. But every time I just looked at the players ahead of him, I just kept saying, hey, I think he's goes above this guy. And so he just kept going down the list. But he's now the new number 14 on the list here. Which is a heck of a ranking. And we'll probably have to revisit in the next year or two. If he keeps playing well or gets an MVP under his belt at some point. Who knows? Another MVP caliber season or two. Or even wins one. And he might even get bumped up higher on that list. As he starts to close that gap between he and Greenberg. But for now, he's sitting at number 14. That's a pretty darn respectable ranking. player players only played 10 years in the league. Very impressive for Nolan Aranato here. And with that's our episode. Thank you so much for joining uh here today everybody. Thank you for listening. It's been a lot of fun here. To give you an idea of what's coming up next. I still have one more. I like to do these in threes. So I do have one more third baseman that I'd like to include here. To talk about whether or not they also have a pretty solid argument for... Hall of Fame inclusion based on Roland getting in, and that's Manny Machado. And so I'd like to do a Manny Machado episode here coming up. And then I would also like to do, as I mentioned before, I'm still working on the format, but a women in baseball episode, maybe even talking about you know, the Rock the Rockford Peaches or maybe getting into some of that area of baseball since it doesn't have to be major league baseball oriented all sorts of things i got some ideas i'm still trying to kind of decide on which one i want to do so that'll either be next week or it'll be manny machado next week or vice versa so we'll see how that comes out but in the meantime i will see you next friday here at noon eastern time again to talk some baseball and talk baseball history thank you so much again everyone for listening and i will see you next week enjoy the rest of your weekend and enjoy the upcoming
0: week